This segment of Off the Hustle is powered by SaskGolfer.com. He gave it away. Coaster scores. Coaster, Coaster five on five. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode number 19 of Off the Hustle. My name is Drew Coaster, and I'm your host. We're riding Han Solo again today. Troy's not on the air. But, as always, working hard behind the scenes. So, it's Monday. We're uh, still on a long weekend, I guess. I hope everyone had a great long weekend. A lot of golf, I'd imagine. Little shout-out to my buddy, uh, Brady Gibson. Happy birthday today, buddy. Uh, sorry you didn't get to uh, come out there and uh, get in one there with you, but uh, happy birthday. Um... Yeah, what a weekend though. Nice couple days. It was uh, hot and sunny. I got burnt, played some golf, and I got some stories about my golf camp for you guys. Oh my gosh. So, I play the first day. I have, I put a pull out on Instagram and Twitter over under 76. I thought, okay, maybe a fair assessment. I'll shoot four over maybe the first day. Well, I'm like six over through five holes. I think seventh or sixth, actually, maybe. My God. Turned it around a little bit. Got to 16, 17, 18, and I go bogey, bogey, bogey for a Paul Coffey finish on day one. Wow. I had two duff drives, some skulls. Ma, not good. Played the next night, the next day, sorry, out at uh, Avonlea there, Long Creek, and I'm five over through four. I uh, go on to make back to back to back to back to back birdies five birdies in a row to shoot even on the front nine and then i went with a par and then a double and then i had two more birdies so i think i uh, threw a birdie i shot eight birdies and i shot even par so i got some work to do but it's a lot of birdies though so i was very impressed with that um yeah i mean oh and by the way saskatoon golf country club wow little pogos with like cheese sauce and homemade mustard are you kidding me? How does that look? That's a shout out for you guys there. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's my weekend with golf, I guess. And you know what? Watch the rest of the last dance. Unbelievable. Michael Jordan. What a winner. Different ways of motivating in life for sure. And that guy knew like he was hard on guys for sure. But I liked it though. I mean, that's. Can't really do that uh, do, do that too much nowadays, but I mean he's uh, he's a good competitor and, and he loves to win. And like, I remember the last like line he said there: "If you don't want to play play the game, then don't play the game." Like, wow. Anyways, um, on today's show, twenty-four year old stud Jared Dutois. Um, yeah, he's playing. He's twenty-four years old, playing in the professional golf tour, and I'm uh, podcasting. So. Little different stories for sure, but no, really good interview with Jared. A lot of fun with that one, and followed up by Mr. Bob Weeks. So, two good interviews in this one today. Reminder: we're on um, Instagram underscore off the hosel, Twitter underscore off the hosel, Facebook just off the hosel. I believe our swag's coming in today. So, I know I'm sorry with the. I think COVID is at a making the. The shipment stuff a little hard to, to get here, but that's okay, though. We'll get it to you guys soon. Keep your eyes peeled still and your ears open. And 
Not congrats to Jason, Jason Schneider there wanting the player golf hat. By the way, if we put a post out for a hat or something, I was shocked that no one even like wanted to get in. I think there was like seven entries this time. There was more for the car detail, which is not a bad thing. But guys, come on. It's a free nice hat from Player Golf over there at uh, with our buddy Chase Porter there. So check out the, um, the page. There's always stuff flying around there for you guys to grab for free. So take advantage of that. Anyways, um, we'll send it on over now to uh, Jared Dutois and then followed up by Bob Weeks. So hope you guys enjoy the, uh, the, the interviews today. Today's sponsor of Off the Hosel is GR Flooring. For all your flooring needs, contact Todd Ripplinger at 306-537-9074 or visit him in person at 1260 McDonald Street in Regina, Sask. Alrighty, today uh, myself and my brother are on the air again, uh, joined by PGA professional uh, from Calgary, Alberta, Jared Dutois. Thanks for joining the podcast today. How are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Can't complain. Yeah, weather's pretty good here in Saskatchewan today, so hopefully we can get out on the links pretty soon. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you guys are allowed to play out there pretty soon, aren't you? Yeah, May 15th, we're allowed up in Saskatchewan, and then uh, obviously with Calgary and uh, other courses open up on Monday, so or the 4th, I guess, but yeah, we got to wait a little bit here. Perfect. So I wanted to ask, uh, I mean, where are you these days? Uh, how are you holding up during these uncertain times with COVID? Are you practicing? You must be missing golf. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I'm, I'm in Kimberley right now. That's kind of where I grew up. I was born in Calgary, but um, kind of grew up from eight years until graduation in Kimberley, BC, and my folks still live here. So uh, with them now in, in their place, um, I do have like a little bit of a hitting bay that I was using kind of before, before courses started opening up. But, um, you know, basically BC, I think, gave the green light to golf courses open Two, two weeks ago, maybe. So I've, I've been playing a little bit and, you know, uh, more and Kimberly are kind of opening it up next, next few weeks. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it'll, it'll be too different for me, uh, coming up other than I guess like lack of competition, but you know, there's, there's a handful of good players out here that I can kind of stay sharp with. And, um, yeah, no, it, it, it'll be okay. So I want to backtrack a little bit here. Uh, I mean, uh, when you were younger playing junior golf, um, I mean, you're obviously playing junior nationals and whatnot. When did, um, you know, your junior golf become a thing and kind of you realized that, hey, golf could be a, a job? Jeez. Well, so I would, um, like, I wasn't very good until I would, I would say probably like, you know, 15 or 16, you know, and I was, you know, I, I, I would do, I would do well locally, but, you know, basically when I was kind of 16, 17, that's kind of when I started, you know, competing, um, on the provincial level and went to like, you know, BC, junior BCM, you know, Canadian M and some of the, you know, big yeah. Canadian junior events kind of thing. Uh, but that was, that was really like, you know, grade 11, grade 12. And then, and then from there, I mean, since, you know, a lot of, a lot of recruiting to kind of the bigger schools is done, you know, quite a bit earlier. I mean, I was, I, I didn't have that many offers, I guess, kind of going into college. Um, but, but yeah, I guess kind of when I was in, when I was in grade 11, grade 12, my goal was just to kind of get a scholarship in the U S and, um, you know, fortunately, I guess it was like the end of my grade 11 year, I think, or it might've been started grade 12. I, I committed to uh, university of Idaho, which is one of the only schools that kind of gave me a real look. So, um, that was kind of how it started. And then from there, you know, I, I didn't really have any pro aspirations. I mean, I think it was kind of like a long-term, goal but um you know then i i started getting a lot better in college and um 
you know, climbed through the ranks and was like, hey, you know, I, I think I'm, uh, I'm going to give this a try. So did you go play like the junior nationals or junior worlds at all by any means? I was just curious. I mean, obviously you just mentioned you played, uh, you know, Idaho and Arizona, but I was curious if you played in some, uh, you know, junior nationals or men's national before you turned pro. Yeah, I did. So I did, you know, the Canadian national stuff um, for, you know, I think two or maybe, maybe three times as a junior. And then I played, I, uh, I played this event in Vancouver that qualified me for the uh, the Callaway World Juniors nice. um, down at Torrey Pines there, and and I went down there, and that's kind of that's honestly where I probably got most of my exposure. Like I played pretty good there. I think, you know, I think there's something like I don't know, maybe like 200 kids, or at least at the time um, it seemed like that, or maybe it was that uh, that that play it's four rounds Torrey Pines South, and you know played played pretty good there. I think I was you know 30th or something like that, which. Um, I didn't know at the time, but you know, like I guess it was it was kind of pretty good at the time, and you know that's kind of where I think a, a lot of coaches kind of look for kids that kind of slide under the the radar a little bit, maybe, and and that's kind of where I I guess I got my luck. Hey Jared, it's Troy here. Uh, just went over to Wikipedia notes and saw that you spent two years at the University of Idaho and transferred to Arizona State. I was just curious uh, the reasoning why switching colleges. And uh, also, what did you study your major in? So I, yeah, so two years at University of Idaho, and um, it was pretty convenient. Like I said, it was one of the only schools that kind of gave me gave me any real real look. So I kind of went there and really kind of fell in love with the coach. You know, he was kind of this this guy who who'd been doing it for a while. He had a big chip on his shoulder, and um, you know, he was recruiting a lot of Canada as well. You know, we had, we had Aaron Cockrell, who was a couple years older than me, um, who was there, you know, he's on the Euro tour now. And then a handful of other guys that, you know, were, were good players, um, that were, you know, like I said, uh, you kind of, kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. So we had, we had a good team and, um, basically halfway through sophomore year, um, I had a, a buddy of mine that was like, Hey, like, you know, he was, he was at a bigger school and he was like, Hey, like, you know, our coach is kind of looking for a guy. Like, had you, have you ever really thought of it? And I was like, I mean, I guess I hadn't really thought of it, but you know, then, then you start thinking about it and then you can't stop thinking about it. So I, kind of, I kind of did that a little bit and, and we had some other stuff kind of going on with the team as well. Like the, you know, the coach that I really liked, um, you know, he, it, it seemed as though he was kind of on his way out from Idaho. So it's like, okay, if I, if I stay here, I don't want to, I don't really want to play for anybody else. So it kind of, I guess it was kind of like a bit of a perfect storm, I guess, for me to, you know, look, look elsewhere. And, um, you know, a lot of guys kind of have struggle, uh, have struggles transferring, but I didn't have much cause I had, you know, I had a really good relationship with my coach. And so he kind of supported me, you know, going to a bigger school with, with more opportunity kind of. So, um, yeah, it really worked out that way. And then, um, you know, had a handful of offers to kind of some different schools and, you know, Pac-12 and there's, you know, one in, I think the big 12 and, um, and yeah, pick, pick ASU. Just a way better partying school. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a little better. There's, uh, I, I don't know how to say it, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> say it diplomatically, I should say, but yeah, no, it was, it was a better, better scene that way for sure. So I want to segue into some pro golf here quickly. Um, you know, you jumped from the college, uh, now you're playing full-time PGA. Uh, just give us a quick rundown. What, what's a day in the life of Jared Dutois look like for you, you know, uh, right from the morning to end and, you know, week in, week out. 
Yeah, I mean, b- before COVID and all that, you know, I, I would kind of be based out of uh, based out of Phoenix, Arizona. You know, there's a handful handful of golf courses that you know kind of we have access to, you know, with with PJ Tour Latin America, PJ Tour Canada staff. So I, you know, I play those, and I got a membership somewhere else too. And um, you know, we we play those, and you know, kind of kind of basically sun up, sun down. You know, you're doing something involving golf, whether it's you know golf related workouts or, or range time or whatever and you're kind of doing it kind of doing it all day um so so yeah that was kind of my my day-to-day before this but you know once once covid and everything started then it was kind of ship it up ship it up home and wait for the canadian golf season to start but uh yeah all right on so in 2017 you decided to turn professional uh, what led to that decision that you made Um, honestly, it was, it was probably the, you know, the steady progression that I'd kind of made, like, you know, the five years building up, like I got a lot better in my kind of grade 12 year and then freshman year took a step up. Like I just, I just kind of kept getting better. So I was like, you know, might as well, might as well give it a shot. You know, I had, I had a handful of sponsors that, um, were going to help out financially that, that made it, um, possible. And, and so, yeah, I, I kind of, kind of ran in and, you know, first year I had, you know, I had a start at the Canadian open and, um, you know, I had, I had a handful of starts on the Canadian tour. So I kind of had starts locked up. So, um, yeah, and just dove right in and, um, yeah, I've been, been playing, I guess, ever since. How big of an adjustment was it going from, you know, your dominant junior and you're going to college and play really well and then play some, even you played some pro events as an amateur and you were a stud. Like, how big are those stages for you and mentally? Like, like God, I mean, I'm the same age as you, and I'm working a day job. <laughs> like, I want to be doing what you're doing, but, I mean, <laughs> I, I can imagine, like, like that's big time. Like, like, just walk us through that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it was pretty cool. I mean, so my – I guess it would have been the summer of my – you know, going into my senior year, I had a couple starts. I actually played an event in uh, – my, my first pro start was in – uh, Saskatoon at Dakota Dunes there. So I, I played, I played there, actually missed the cut. And then, and then later that summer, I, I had to start into the Canadian open and, um, and went there and just, you know, kind of caught lightning in a bottle and played really well. So, I, I mean, that was kind of, that was, that was huge for me, um, kind of exposure wise. And, um, you know, obviously Canadians are very passionate sports fans. So, you know, you get a little love from, you know the Canadian media, and a lot of people are kind of, you know, big fans all of a sudden. So it was, it was, uh, it was very cool for me. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been a cool ride for sure. What's your, uh, your thoughts on the uh, Dakota Dunes? It's a tough track, eh? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the cut. I can't even remember what the cut was. I missed it by one, and I want to say it was like five or six under or something like that. Like it was like a, <laughs> it was like a really low cut. Um, but yeah, like that place, like. You know, obviously it's it's pretty exposed. So if the wind gets up, that's kind of the that's kind of the trick. But, yeah. Um, no wind, and you know, guys just kind of ate it up. You know, I think like every par five was was pretty gettable, and you know, there's a handful, of, at least one, maybe two drivable par fours. And um, so yeah, I remember guys just lit up that place. But uh, it's kind of too bad they didn't go back. I kind of like the setup. You know, it was like right on that, you know, they had the casino there and, you know, the guys got like a meal and would go, would go, you know, put 10 to 15 on black, you know, before the round kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a cool spot, but who knows, maybe they'll uh, start that up again one day. 
was it windy that day? I think uh, I think the afternoon got windy, but I yeah, I can't remember. It's it was, always it was windy here in Sask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, I, yeah, I believe it. So, Jared, in 2016, you represented Canada at the 30th World Amateur Championship in Mexico through the Eisenhower Trophy. Could you just let our listeners know uh, what that experience was like? I, I, I didn't catch you there. What, what was the last part of that question, sir? Oh, I just wanted to see if you could let our listeners know what that uh, World Ams was playing for in Mexico. Yeah, no, it was it was an unreal event. I mean, um, it's super cool. Like, you know, basically there's three guys from from every country, and like, you know, you get you get a wide range. I mean, you get U.S. You know, they're all studs, and then you get Australia that ended up winning. They were studs, and then you get you know these countries that you're like, well, do they even have a golf course? You know, and it's these guys with like these Walmart sets to go around. So it was like a super cool experience. Um, just kind of seeing everything and, you know, represent the country, you know, we had, we had, you know, I think it was like either the CEO or the president of golf Canada come down. So it was, it was a really cool experience. And then, um, you know, kind of the amateur legend of Doug Roxborough, he was our playing coach, um, which was, was super cool as well. He's kind of a legend Canadian golf that I guess not a lot of people, not too many people, I guess, know, know about him. but, but yeah, that was, that was super cool for, for us. And, um, and then it was in Mexico too. So you're on this like all-inclusive resort at like these sweet tracks. So it was, uh, it was a super fun experience. So you go on to shoot 59. I mean, the last day of the Outlaw Tour. Unfortunately, you end up on the long, uh, wrong side of uh, things. But I mean, walk us through that round if you could. I mean, what's going on in your head? Like, I mean, what's your nickname now, Mister 59? Like, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was pretty cool, and they. It was it was a weird day because, um, like, well, obviously it's like COVID had started, so nobody even knew if like the the, the event was going to happen. Um, you know, nobody knew if it was you know going to keep going on because we started the event and some kids started pulling out because they were scared of everything. And um, so yeah, I went out the last day. I had a good group. You know, knew knew both the guys I was playing with, and the one guy, his name was Brandon Harkins. Um, he's like a web.com and a bit of a PGA Tour guy a little bit. And, uh, you know, he was going off. Like, I want to say he was like eight under through 10 or something like oh that. My God. And I was like, you know, two or three back of him at the time. And I was just like, okay, let's just try and keep up to this guy, basically. <laughs> and and, uh, and and kind of did so. And we were, you know, I think we were tied at like nine or 10 on, on 17. And uh, it must have been 10, yeah, because then we both parted 17. And then I got 18. And I was like, man, this poor guy, he was... <laughs> Beating me all day, shoot to sixty and uh, misses the playoff. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was a cool Suck on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So in 2016 at the RBC Canadian Open, you were one shot behind Sneds after 54 holes. So you got to play Sunday with them. Final pairing. What was that like for you? It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was one of those things like just kind of as the week went on, like it just kind of got crazier and crazier. Like, um, you know, first first day of the event, you know, it's basically just my my parents um, and a couple friends watching, and then like I was playing with Garrett Rank, and he he's a bit of a local legend, and he had you know his his family and whatnot watching, but uh, but other than that, there was like nobody watching us, so it was just kind of like. You know, and we're we're on the back end of the draw too, so like you know, there's no real buzz. Like it almost kind of felt like normal-ish, you know. Um, but you know, as the week kind of went on, you know, I I played well early and kind of was getting some 
some love. And then, uh, and then I remember my coach came up and he's like, I think it was after round two. He's like, Jared, like, you know, delete Twitter and Instagram off your phone right now. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to see kind of, you know, what's going on basically. Cause like, I, you know, I didn't really know. And I, I don't remember, you know, obviously I'd watched a bit of the Canadian open, but I don't, I was never really a part of it. Like I'd been to one and it was in Shaughnessy when I was like, you know, 14 or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, so when, as the week went on, it just got like, kind of crazier and crazier and, um, you know, had a great pairing round three and, you know, felt comfortable. He was an Arizona guy, Ricky Barnes. And all day he was just kind of chirping me about <laughs> going to ASU because he went to U of A and they're, they're big rival school. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of took off some of the pressure. And then, uh, and then yeah, and, and then the, the final day, playing with Snedeker was super cool too because he was kind of, you know, he was like an – I think he still is an RBC guy. And, you know, so he kind of had like the – I don't know, like the nice guy, kind of reputation a little bit. And he, he kind of really made it easy for me. Like, um, you know, you just, he, tr- he tried to, I guess, kind of calm me down all day, which, you know, I was really thankful for because, you know, he's trying to win a golf tournament too. I mean, he's, you know, he's in the lead of, a, you know, a big event on the PGA Tour. And, yeah. you know, he kind of went out of his way to kind of help me out and everything. So that was super cool. And, you know, there's, and, and I was just soaking it all in too. Like I was asking him any question, like, you know, who, like, who is, like, the most disliked guy on tour, and, like, what are, like, common spots to go, and, like, just all this stuff, and, like, because I remember, too, like, any time, like, some kid or, like, a fan was, like, oh, yeah, Jared, like, high five, like, that kind of stuff, I was, like, all in on it, because, like, it's never happened to me before, and I'm, like, I remember asking, I was, like, hey, like, do you guys just, like, do you do this all the time, like, do you, like, how do you say no, kind of thing, and, um, and, yeah, it, it, it was just a really cool experience, like, he was, Honestly, like in that field, he was probably, you know, one of the top five guys that I, I could have played with that final round to kind of, you know, to, to have the best kind of result. So would you say, like, I don't know, what, I mean, what your biggest moment is on the PGA Tour so far? I mean, maybe it's that or, you know, even on the, you know, the Outlaw issue 59. Like, what would you say is a biggest moment for you that, you know, hey, like, wow, I'm here. This is, an, this is legit. Like, I mean, like, you, you just mentioned high-fiving guys and signing autographs and kissing babies and you know i mean like you're you know what i mean like you're a celebrity so i mean when was that time for you uh i mean that, that was, that's for sure my my kind of biggest moment so far um you know that was that was that was huge i mean you know just the amount of exposure i guess like being you know being the, the young guy the amateur playing in canada being canadian like that was that's going to be top to top probably for for a while so um that was it for sure i mean i had it was kind of a bummer like this last summer it was i was really close to both like i i, I didn't get into the canadian open or the u.s open but i was kind of one back of, of both of them and i was just like man like it's just that would have been so cool like playing pebble this year um or last year i guess but but yeah other than that i mean nothing nothing too crazy i had uh my, my first year pro 2017 i i made the cut on a, on the number and then i went out as a single in the morning because it was like an odd cut and uh went out and shot i think i shot 61 or something like oh playing by God. myself in like two hours and 30 minutes or like i can't remember the i can't remember the number but it was just rip through and uh th- yeah yeah that was like super cool i remember there was like there was like this score that had to come and like, you know, keep my score. And like, she was like an older, older lady that, you know, lived on the club or something like that. And she was just gassed because we were moving so fast and like, <laughs> and the course is like, you know, pretty slopey, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's one of them as well, but tough to top the 2016, 
experience there at Glen Abbey. So playing on the tour, I mean, you get to play with a lot of different guys and very good golfers. We have a local favorite here between me and my brother, but uh, wondering if you ever got to play with Abraham Answer. No, no, I haven't. I, I know a lot of the guys that, that he kind of knows. Um, like, I, I think he's really good buddies with Corey Connors and, and some of those guys that kind of came up came up at the same time. But, no, I, I don't know him. But I know his caddy's Canadian. He's out of either Alberta or Saskatchewan. Is that what you're Well, it, it, it's know. funny you mention that because the caddy's our cousin. <laughs> Dale, Dale Vallali. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Perfect. kind of why I was asking that question. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard good things. I heard Dale, Dale was quite the player as well, too. Yeah, he ripped up the, the Tour de Dunes once or twice when he was playing, but uh, now he's uh, looping away here, so he's enjoying that. Uh, enough about him, but I want to ask, uh, Jerry, before we get into our segment uh, questions from the gallery, um, some advice for our young listeners especially, or I mean, like I, like I said, I mean, you're my age, and I consider we're still young, but I mean, there's some young juniors that listen to the show, and, and you know what, what it takes to make it to the college level, uh, professional level, and just uh, touch on that for us. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say, like, the biggest thing, especially for Canadians, is, like, um, I'd say in general Canadians are kind of late bloomers just because, like, you know, we only we only have half the time of a lot of the places. Like, my, I mean, my golf season was kind of five, six months, and, you know, it's kind of like a lot, a lot of Canada. You know, I'm sure I'm sure Saskatchewan sometimes lucky to get five, six months. So, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah I mean, I, I, I think the biggest thing is just, like, it's not a race, you know, and, and especially in a sport like golf, you see guys kind of find it, you know, super late, whether it's late in juniors, late in college or, or late in the pros, right? Like a lot of people kind of find it, find it late. So, um, my biggest thing would just be like, as long as you still feel like you're getting better and you still have that same desire to kind of go, go out and play and, and get better then then you've got nothing to worry about time-wise. Okay, so after our uh, segment called Questions from the Gallery, sponsored by Player Golf, be sure to use the promo code off the hosel fifteen for fifteen percent off of your orders. That's off the hosel fifteen for fifteen percent off of your orders. Alrighty, first question here from Bill wants to know what it's like being so young playing on the PGA Tour. Well, um, I'm a little older now. Like I, I still wish I was. <laughs> I guess like you know, in my in my my. 1920 or whatever but yeah um you know I, I think i think starting out was 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 pretty tough um you know because like in college you're just pampered you know like yeah. coach tells you where to go like where to be books all the flights books all the hotels like you know whatever right and and i guess like you know the first summer for me traveling was kind of tough because you know you got to book all that stuff stuff that you don't even think about and you got to travel and you gotta you know when, when you book flights you book flights sunday night monday morning like what do you do <laughs> And uh, so I, I think I think kind of figuring that out was was uh, kind of took me a little while, and you know I, I think most guys are are kind of in the same boat there. But yeah, that was that was one thing uh, one thing that was a challenge for me for sure. So Chris wants to know who is or was your idol growing up that made you continue and pursue golf. You're gonna you're gonna like this one. It's uh, Saskatchewan boy Graham Dillette. He nice. was. Uh, <laughs> You know, he was he was a big big idol of mine. I mean, he's a you know kind of a blue collar, you know, multi sport athlete kind of thing. And I'd like to look at myself as as kind of the same. At least when I was high school, I I, I was. And um, you know, he he went to a school in Idaho. It's where I went. You know, he's a big Flames fan. I'm a huge Flames fan. Like 
there was just kind of all these parallels, and I, I was always kind of a big fan of them. So, um, yeah, Graham Dillette's kind of my guy. Flames fan? I guess we've got to hang up now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, yeah. Uh, what is your favorite course that you have played? Oof. Um, it's tough to beat Cabot Cliff. Uh, I got to play that once, I think, in 2017. That was really cool, and then... That, that one's up there, and then I, I got to play uh, Riviera as well in, in L.A., and then Posse Campos. So I, I would say those are, those are my three. I, I don't know if I could pick one because they're all, they're all pretty special in their own right. I've only played Cabot, uh, Cliffs, and Lynx on the Golf Tour 2019, so um, definitely ripping it up on there. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that. So Mark wants to know what a typical day in your shoes is when competing at a tour event. So I would say, you know, early in the week, it's, it's very much, um, kind of, kind of getting ready. So it's like, you know, making sure you got, you got the green styled in, you know, you know how the rough's reacting, chipping, you know, how far the ball is flying, you know, if there's elevation and, and whatnot. So that's kind of early in the week. So that would be, you know, get to the course pretty early practice, go play either nine or 18 and get used to all those things. And then as it gets closer to the week, you know, um, you know, Wednesday or whatever. Like I usually try and keep Wednesdays pretty light just because, you know, you got ideally four, four days of, you know, quite a bit of work coming up. So um, that's, that's what I would do. And then, yeah, obviously when you're competing, it's, you know, get to the course, you know, an hour, hour and a half kind of before your tee time, you know, warm up, go play and sign the card at the end of the day, get some rest and try it again the next day. Okay, so this question here is from like every club pro, every amateur, every stud. What are your thoughts on Bluetooth speakers on the course? <laughs> um, if I'm if I'm just playing with my buddies, like uh, I'm all I almost always have something in the card or like on my bag, like whether it's quiet or not. Like, and I'm not listening enough. Fetty Wap or like any of that like it's kind of like casual casual golf music and like you know maybe some throwback being Canadian maybe mixing a little tragically hip and some stuff like that like it's not you know I hear guys listening like dubstep and like hard rap on the course I'm like what are you, what are you doing what that on Molly just lit, lit up on the course <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah not uh, not the right place but so if you weren't a professional golfer what would you be doing for your life? Ooh, I don't know. I, you know, honestly, whether, and I, I'd probably have to go either back to school or, or, you know, figure it out, but I might, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about the other day, like some sort of teaching maybe. And, you know, whether that's like teaching golf or, or teaching school or something like that, like I, um, I really like kind of doing that and, you know, had some, I guess, really good kind of teachers growing up and, always like kind of their lifestyle and their outlook on life. So maybe, maybe something like that, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I got a couple of years, I think before I got to, before I got to start thinking about that, hopefully. Oh, absolutely. Being only 24. So you, you got lots of time. Yeah. Um, uh, ultimate foursome. Oof. Okay. Well, being a flames guy, Jerome again was, Jerome McGinley is probably the first seed. Um, 
you'd probably get some unreal stories out of Theo Fleury as well. So I'd, I'd probably put him in there, another Flames guy. And then uh, maybe go off the board. Pro- probably Tiger. Yeah. Probably Tiger <laughs> just because, like, you know, it would just be on it. Like, yeah, that'd, that'd be that'd be pretty cool too. But, oh, maybe I've been watching this, the MJ documentary. and It's crazy, like hey? Sub, the sub for the five-man or the four-spot. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's it's unreal what he would do and what he what he'd bring to you know i guess every game and even practices too so um yeah just listen to that guy and getting to watch that guy would would be pretty cool too the show is unreal so it's cool that you're watching too oh so good yeah so what kind of sticks are you using on the course and uh, who's your main sponsor don't say the flames uh, <laughs> pardon me sorry i, I missed that again sorry what was it well, I just wonder what kind of sticks you're using on the course and who's your main sponsor. Yeah, so I, I think you said clubs, right? <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm yeah. having Yeah, clubs. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm all I'm all Titleist. I have you know, Titleist irons, wedges, um, you know, and woods. I actually got a I, I struggled with my old wood and so I, I've got a ping three wood in the bag and then a tailor made putter, but yeah, Titleist everything for the most part, and they've uh, they they were really good to me, I guess, in in college and then and starting out my my pro career. So, um, big fan of them. Um, any hole in ones? I've got five. I got five hole in ones. Yep. Can you? Um, where are they all? Do you know they are? Uh, what course is that? Yeah. Yeah, two two of them were in competition. One was at Southern Highlands in college. Um, the other one was at Morgan Creek. That that tournament that I said kind of got me to the World Juniors. I actually got like a hole in one, like late in the round, to like win by win by either one or two, kind of coming in. So kind of kind of got lucky there. But uh, and then yeah, and then the other ones were like either in like college, like practice rounds or like qualifying rounds, kind of thing. But um, all over kind of Arizona, I guess. So to this date. What's your best golf memory? Ooh. Best golf memory. Got to be, I mean, got to be that I, I made a, on 18 Canadian Open on the Saturday. I made like a 40 footer and just like blacked out and lost my mind and like started beat my chest like a like an animal that's probably that's probably, that's probably my best that's probably my best memory yeah well jared this has been awesome man i don't know if you have um, um do you want to touch on uh, anything else at all but i mean this has been great no that's that was a lot of fun guys yeah i don't i don't have too much more to add but uh yeah no appreciate you guys having me on and um you know hopefully uh Hopefully I can have some better stuff and better stories for next time. So, um, yeah, no, that'd be great. Okay, we'll team, we'll, we'll team in touch there, Jared. Take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Sounds good, guys. Yeah, have a good one. Yep, take care. This segment of Off the Huzzle is brought to you by Brownies Golf Shop at the Royal Regina, Southern Saskatchewan's premier custom club fitters. Using FlightScope and GC Quad technology, Brownies Golf Shop will give you the high-performance club fitting you need for that new driver or set of irons. Offering a full line of clubs featuring Titleist, Ping, Callaway, TaylorMade, Cobra, and Srixen at the best prices. Brownies Golf Shop, high-performance club fitting to help you enjoy the game. Contact Dean at RoyalRegina.com to book your fitting or yardage gapping appointment. Today I'm pleased to be joined by TSN analyst Bob Weeks. Thanks for joining the podcast today, Bob. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Drew. How are you? Uh, not too bad. It's uh, sunny and 28 here in Regina, Saskatchewan. Um, can't complain by any means. 
That's good. That's good if only you were on a golf course, right? Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. So uh, I want to know, where are you these days? Uh, how are you holding up during these uncertain times? You must be missing golf. I mean, you're probably putting around the house. Uh, I am. I'm, I guess I'm like everybody else in these days. I'm uh, self-isolating at my house with my girlfriend, and we're uh, sitting in Toronto, and the weather is starting to get a little bit nicer. It's been a pretty crummy spring, though, so that's been uh, April, I should say. So that's been pretty good. Kept us indoors, but yeah, we're keeping our busy. It's been. It's. I tell you, work-wise, it's still been busy. There's lots of stories to cover for golf, and on both fronts, on whether it's the professional ranks with the PGA Tour or LPGA Tour, or talking to a number of the. Uh, players on both tours or at the more recreational level as we sort of sit and wait for uh, golf season to start in various parts of the country and um, it looks like for the most part now as we're we're chatting right now pretty much uh, everybody except Ontario and Quebec is going to either going to be playing or has a has a date well there where they will be reopening the golf courses so uh, so that's good news if you're a golfer. I actually wanted to know your thoughts I mean even like um, you know, I mean, Saskatchewan's opened up on May 15th, and I think uh, Alberta, BC, everywhere else has opened up on Monday. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure they, I mean, I'm not in the politics by any means, but I'm pretty sure that they still have open cases. I mean, what are your thoughts on them opening up sooner than us? Yeah, it's a little dicey, I guess, but, uh, you know, I sort of put my faith in the medical uh, medical scientists and, and all the people who are a lot smarter than me when it comes to talking about the COVID-19 <laughs> uh, situation, and, and I I really have to think that um, the politicians wouldn't be reopening the golf courses if they didn't feel it was safe. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to kind of put your faith in. Um, I'm still personally a little bit on the, on the shelf as to whether or not I will go out and golf when the course is open in Ontario. I'm not quite sure um, if, if I help how safe I feel, but I'll, but I guess we'll see. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are pretty antsy about it and people who are on both sides of the equation, you know, for, opening golf courses should we not be opening other things so um there's no easy answers when it comes to this but uh i am missing golf i'm missing playing that's for sure and uh, i actually can't i was trying to think the other day and the last time i actually played any kind of golf and i think it was i was on a trip in in uh, california in december but um it's a uh it's certainly um at least positive for most people who play golf i think to see the courses open as long as they adhere to all the, the precautions and rules that are being put in place for these courses to open Okay, so I mean, we're gonna to touch on that uh, a little later here. I wanted to backtrack to uh, when you were younger. Uh, where were you born? How was that? And you know, being a Canadian, were you playing a ton of sports, hockey, golf, etc.? Uh, so I was born in Montreal. Um, I grew up there till I was twelve, and then moved to Ontario, where where I've been ever since. I I have family in Prince Edward Island, so I spent a lot of time out in Prince Edward Island growing up. A lot of summers out there. And that's where I started playing golf, actually. My dad took me out to a golf course, and we were out there for summer holiday. And uh, we started playing, I think I was probably about 10 or 11. Um, and back then, that's kind of when you did start playing golf. Nobody really <laughs> played much before that. You couldn't get on courses. There weren't, there weren't the number of courses that we have now across the country. And so getting on to a golf course was, it was, was tough. a little bit tougher. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I grew up, I, yeah, I played a lot of different sports. I played hockey. I was never great at hockey. I was kind of a house league player. I curled a lot and I was a pretty good curler. I got to provincial championships and, uh, um, and, and won some cash bond spiels playing with some guys that, uh, <laughs> I, I played a little bit with a guy named Ed Wernick, who, uh, I think my people of, of my age might remember he was a two time world champ. And, um, and, uh, then I really stuck to those two sports though. Summer was golf and, and winter was, was curling. 
I was never, and I have never ever have been a great golfer by any means. You know, I've, I've been a single digit handicap, I guess in my prime, but never probably more than about an eight or a nine. I think right now my handicap's probably about 14. So Whoa. I'm kind of, a, I, I kind of have 85 for my, for my par and everyone thinks that, you know, I should be a great golfer, but I spend <laughs> so much time watching golf and covering golf. It's, I don't get as much chance to play, believe it or not. I get about maybe 25 rounds in a year so uh it's a little frustrating but uh um but that was kind of my growing up and i you know i went to university in windsor and took communications which is like a journalism program and i went from there so maybe you should uh i don't know have you ever thought about becoming a scout for golf or like was it was ever thought (laughs) yeah i never have thought about that actually i've uh uh, I never thought about being a scout or looking, you know, helping people get to colleges. I know some friends who do that. I, I know some people who are very good coaches. And uh, But my, my love was always in journalism. I always wanted to be a journalist. And, and to this day, you know, I have a lot of young people who will come to me and say, uh, how do I become a golf writer or how do I become a golf broadcaster? And I tell them, you know, I don't, I don't think of myself as a golf broadcaster. I think of myself as a journalist who covers golf. And I, and the distinction there being that I, I really feel that I could cover anything. I could cover politics or entertainment or, um, business or something. I have the skills to be a journalist. And I think those transfer quite a bit. I've just been lucky enough that for the last 33 years, I've been covering golf pretty much <laughs> entirely as my, as my gig. So it's, uh, um, but you know, it's, uh, I never really thought about any other side of the game or a sport to be involved in, whether it be an administration or anything like that. I'm, I'm real happy covering the story and uh, digging things out and, and hopefully entertaining people as well. So I actually wanted to transition into your uh, e- uh, uh, editorial life, sorry there, and uh, journalism and broadcasting. Um, I mean, obviously you mentioned that was always a passion for you. I mean, when did that become, you know, a passion? I mean, you, you I mean, obviously you're so good at what you do. So I just wanted to your thoughts on when that all became. Uh, so I went, I went to school. I, I knew, I guess, sort of in later high school years that I, I wanted to get into journalism. I don't think I really ever thought about what side. In fact, when I went, when I left for university, I thought I would love to be a TV cameraman. I thought that would be the best job to have. And then after about one year in, uh, studying and we had a, we had a TV studio at the university. I thought, oh man, this is like the most boring job in the world. <laughs> no, no offense to all my friends who are cameramen. So, uh, so I got onto the, on the other side of the camera, got in front of it and I kind of developed this, uh, in, in the university, you know, you kind of get this, this, uh, I guess, thirst to try and figure out the story and put your spin on the story or to try and tell it objectively. If you're just doing the news side as opposed to an opinion side. And, um, and I never really thought that I would, perhaps really even do that the first the very first job i actually had after university um i worked for the lottery corporation here in ontario and my job was to give out the big checks so that's pretty good that was a pretty happy good job. <laughs> yeah basically i would just you know people would come into this office and i'd hand them a check for a hundred thousand dollars and we'd do a little pr we'd, we'd phone the uh, local town wherever they were from whether it be i don't know some guy in sudbury or whatever we'd call and, and alert the press in sudbury just to try to prove to everybody that there were winners um, but my real passion at that point was to try and write uh, was write long long form stories, so like magazine articles. And uh, I submitted a few ideas to uh, Score Golf magazine in the late '80s, and I got uh, right place at the right time. I guess they the guy who was the editor there is a guy named John Gordon, and he hired me on, uh, and I stayed there for about 25 years. But um, I was pretty raw, like I guess everyone starting out in the job, and I had to learn a lot about the magazine publishing business, about writing, about uh, covering golf about you know you, you make contacts people i met when i in those first years i still have relationships with now and i think that's a big part of 
of being yeah. successful for any journalist, right? Is anyone is just to make those contacts and keep the communication lines going. So it was a fun job. And then uh, score golf is still going to these, this day. I haven't been there for a few years now, I guess five or six years in any kind of capacity, but um, it's, uh, it's still going strong, which is a great uh, credit to the people who run it. Yeah. So you kind of answered my next question. I actually wanted to ask also and touch on the way you just mentioned there. I talked to uh, Jason Logan there yesterday. Uh, one of your buddies there. Um, you know, I mean, I asked, do you think, I mean, obviously being a guy that writes and, and, and also an a, a, editor, um, do you think magazines are on, you know, on their way out? Uh, sadly, yes. I don't know if they'll all go away, but you just have to look at the number of magazines. I mean, when I started uh, back in the late 80s and the early 90s, there were, there were probably, I think at one point, there were 22 golf magazines, both regional and national in Canada. Wow. And now I think, I honestly think that Score Golf might be the only one that still prints. I, I could be wrong, but I think that's the only one that actually still prints a copy. So, you know, if they're not gone now, I think sadly they probably will be at someday um, very soon. I mean, you look at big magazines like Time Magazine and um, Sports Illustrated now, you know, they don't have hard copies anymore. They're all online. And that's where everything's going. It's it's sort of a it's just a, a natural evolution, I guess, of of uh, of things. Just like newspapers are struggling a little bit, although they're seem to be hang on a little bit better than magazines. But um, it's tough, and I th- that's one reason you know why I, I kind of moved over to television full time was I saw that in the on the horizon there, and I thought uh, face for TV, <laughs> make the jump. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, you mentioned earlier too, you're a big curler and, you know, I was trying to find some notes on you and, uh, I mean, you were big in the curling uh, from the looks of it. Um, and also you played, I mean, how did that all come about? You were also, I mean, uh, also writing for them back then. And then do you have any good moments and memories from those days? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess just naturally the golf and curling seasons kind of ran into each other. And, and I, back in those days, I was trying to write whatever and for whoever I could. So, I knew a little bit about curling and I, I decided to start and try and write some stories about that. And I got hired at a couple places. And at one point I was a columnist for the globe and mail. I did that for 25 years, wrote a weekly column on curling, which seems almost amazing now that they would have a curling column, in the globe <laughs> and mail, but they did. It was a big sport back then. And it was, uh, you know, the briar was selling out. With, uh, well, I don't have to tell people in, in, uh, in the your neck of the woods about the briar and curling and how many people were there. And so that's the heartland right there in Saskatchewan and Manitoba and Alberta. Um, and, and, um, I, yeah, I got, I got to writing a lot of different things. I wrote a bunch of books. I actually wrote the book curling for dummies, uh, the, the actual dummies <laughs> book about how to teach people how to curl, which was a process in itself. And, uh, and I wrote a history of the briar and I wrote a, a biography with, uh, with Russ Howard. So, um, I still do a little bit of curling stuff and, and, uh, during this latest, uh, kind of shutdown, they're showing a lot of replays of, of games on, uh, on TSN of classic curling games, I guess. And, uh, I've been interviewing some of the people who were uh, involved in some of those games. Last week, for instance, I interviewed Pat Simmons, good Sasky boy, nice, and um, and did some did some curling coverage as well. So it's uh, it's always good to keep my hand in curling, but certainly golf is where where the bulk of my work is. Have you ever uh, uh, talked to Benny Hebert at all? I have. I know Ben quite well, and then Friend Ben's a great show. guy and a, and a passionate <laughs> golfer as well, right? Oh I mean, yeah, he's been on your podcast, I saw. Yeah, yeah. No, he's so, a beauty. Uh, yeah, he, that's, that's a good term. He definitely <laughs> is a beauty. So, I mean, now you've been at TSN for five, six years now. Um, uh, how has that changed? I mean, going from, you know, you go from uh, score golf to TSN, and now, I mean, I, I classify you as kind of like the, the, the Don Cherry of golf, honestly. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, 
I don't know. That's just what I think. I mean, I don't know. Like, like what was that change like for you? <laughs> Don Cherry, I'm like the Don Cherry golf with uh, with quieter jackets. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, I I'd, I'd, I'd worked at at TSN um, for a long time with when I was still at Score. They we had a relationship. We had our Score Golf TV program on TSN, and as part of that deal, I helped uh, helped out and I covered. Um, the major events with them and with their team. So it was a very easy transition because I essentially worked with these people for the better part of 15 years. I think I, I think if I go back, I think I've been at 22 years now associated and on the air at TSM. So it wasn't like I was walking into the unknown. Yeah, I just knew, I it guess, was, yeah. It was a li- yeah, it was a little different in uh, the role I played. When I left Score Golf, I had a, a very senior role and I was a very – uh, I had a lot more to do than just write. I had a lot of administrative things to do, and and uh, it was a little bit of a different job. So when I got to, to TSN full time, it was actually kind of more fun. I was just concentrating on on being a journalist and covering golf. Although there was, there was a few other things I did, but primarily that's what it was. And the transition was pretty smooth. It was pretty easy. Um, we ducked right in, and I was very happy that uh, TSN made a huge commitment to golf. They still do have a huge commitment to golf. Um, we show all four majors as well as a number of PGA Tour events, and uh, we have. Uh, television shows and all sorts of things and, and uh, in the hopper with, with golf as well that are hopefully coming up soon. So yeah. um, it was nice to get my feet into a good environment where it was just nothing but golf and, and nothing but journalism. What would be your uh, favorite, uh, you know, for uh, one of the four majors? Oh, the Masters is easily the best one for me. I love the Masters. It's uh, First of all, it's the first one of the year. Most, most years, it won't be yeah. this year. It'll be the last <laughs> one this year. But it's uh, it's the first one of the year, so you're coming out at a time of year when the golf season in Canada is either just starting or right around the corner for most people. Um, they treat you very, very well, although you have to be you have to be very careful and follow all the rules. But they look after the press. I mean, it's it's almost ridiculous how how well they treat us down there. And and of course, there's been some great moments on that golf course, and you know pretty much the whole golf course. You know where to go. You know what's going on. Um, you know, this happened on this hole and this happened on that hole. And um, so that's the best one to cover. I think they're all good. I mean, they all have a special sort of ambiance and they all treat you pretty well. But I would say the Masters is is the favorite of, of, uh, of mine to cover. Do you have a favorite moment, I mean, from uh, all the Masters that, that, that you've been to? Uh, yeah, I've been to 24 Masters now. And Holy. I guess my favorite... Uh, yeah, the very <laughs> obvious one would be... Uh, the very obvious one would be uh, Mike Weir winning in 2003. Yeah. And, you know, I, my, my career and Mike's career, kind of the timelines are kind of fairly similar. So, I mean, I've known Mike for a long time. We're very good friends. Um, he uh, <clears throat> he was an amateur golfer when I first started covering him and then a collegiate golfer. And then to kind of see this guy grow up and the determination he put put in and the, the practice and the hard hours, and then to see him win the Masters was, was ridiculous. It's, it's funny, you know, normally at, at Augusta, um, I don't watch the back nine on Sunday because there's just too much happening in too many places. So you have to, so I basically watch it on television back in the broadcast center really? with everyone else. Yeah. It seems strange. I know, but <laughs> in order to be able to, in order to be able to tell the story, you know, you can't be on three different holes at once to see all the changes. So, and you've been to 24 uh, so or so. <laughs> yeah. So generally, generally what I do is I'll, I'll walk the front nine with the leaders and then I'll go back into the broadcast center or the broadcast international. Yeah. The broadcast center. And, but that year I was there, Rod Black was the host, and for some reason Paul Coffey, the hockey player, great hockey player, was oh. with us. And we walked around the whole 18 and into the playoff as well and, and watched Mike Tapp in the winning putt. And uh, it was kind of a cool moment, and it was almost one of those moments where you had to say, 
you were so excited because a Canadian had won and Mike, who you all knew, had won. And then all of a sudden you had to say, okay, we got a job to do. And so you raced back. And I knew right away it was going to be a long day. There was going to be a lot of requests. I mean, it was, you know, a national news story. It wasn't just a sports story. So it was a long yeah. night, but it, uh, but it was certainly a memorable memorable one. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I thought I'm, I'm not sure if you created this. But I mean, I'm a huge fan of your top 100 golf ratings. Uh, when did that all come about? Did you create that? Uh, I co-created it with a guy named John Gordon, who was the editor there, and uh, the two of us started it off. Uh, the first time we did it was 1988. Now, I mean, there've been course rankings before, but I think the score golf ranking is kind of the most authoritative one. The first time we did it, we ranked 15 people or 15 courses. And we sent out paper ballots by mail to about 30 people and asked them to rank their top courses from 1 to 10. That's how simple it was. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's grown, and um, and I'll give Jason Logan, the editor there now, a lot of credit for really expanding it over the last three or four rankings, I think. He kind of took it over even when I was still there. Um, we, de- we developed a software program now, so we have a, a panel of about 100, I don't know, 115, 120 people, and they can go on and rank the courses all online, and then the tabulation's all done automatically. So it's a pretty sleek and, and sophisticated system these days. But, yeah, we, we started it um, for the for the real purpose of just getting people to talk about golf courses. And I'll never forget um, saying to John Gordon, I said, you know, if anybody agrees with our list, then, then we stop doing it because that's the whole point. <laughs> you don't want people to agree to it. You want them to discuss it. You want them to talk about courses. You want them to say, no, I think it's this course is better than that course. And, uh, somebody once told me, he says, you know, it's easier to tell tell somebody that their spouse is ugly than to tell them that the golf course is, is crummy. <laughs> so it's uh, it's created a lot of controversy, and it's but it's got a lot of people talking about uh, about For golf sure. and about golf courses in Canada, and and making people aware of some courses that they might not know. I'm always amazed at how, uh, you know, I'm very lucky. I get to travel from one side of the country to the other, and, and basically everybody everywhere in between. And I don't think I've have, there's not a province I haven't golfed in, and and I think that. I always find a lot of people from the east side of the country don't know how good the courses are in the west and, and vice versa. And the bigger thing is people outside of Canada, I don't think, realize how good the courses here are. So um, it's it's a good exercise in, in uh, letting people know about the, the courses that we do have here. So I believe Riverside was like the last Saskatchewan course maybe on, uh, on that list. Do you think uh, more courses from Saskatchewan can make that list ever? Yeah, certainly. I've I've played. Uh, I haven't played a ton of courses in, in Saskatchewan, but I played some. Uh, I think Wascana got a good showing when that hosted the uh, the Women's Open a couple of years ago. That was a good one. Uh, I played the Willows as well, and uh, I think I've played. Well, I've, I know I've played uh, Riverside, and I played a couple of the Dakota Dunes. I think has been on the yep. ranking from time to time as well. So certainly there are, and it's the toughest part is that I think a lot of the panelists probably don't get a chance to see it you know if, if you're a panelist and say and you live in vancouver uh chances are you're probably going to go and play jasper and yeah Banff word and of mouth places like that so getting getting the voters to see these courses is always the first step and in places i think manitoba and saskatchewan are the two most difficult provinces for them to get to in terms of making it a real holiday and going out there you know up to waskasu or something like that i think i think that's the only real downside to it but as i tell people you know the the, it doesn't really matter what someone else thinks of your course. If you like your golf course, if you go out and you have fun playing at Riverside or Waska or wherever you're playing, then that's all that really should matter for you. Yeah, no, that's uh, that, that's a very good analogy for sure. Um, I also so I recently spoke with I mean Adam Stanley and uh, Jason Logan. I asked the same question. I'm going to ask the same one to you. 
Um, is golf and golf courses going to be affected by this pandemic financially? Oh yeah, there's 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 no doubt about it. Um, you know, I think uh, I think I was talking to the PGA of Canada, Kevin Thistle, who's the CEO there. He told me that uh, up, this is now a couple of weeks ago, so some of the courses have opened, but I think 35% of of PGA pros were laid off, had been laid off at that point, and a lot of them are laid off in the winter anyway. But um, you know, right now we're seeing courses start to open up, as we mentioned off the top there, I think uh, Ontario and Quebec and Nova Scotia are the only provinces now that don't have a restart date yet. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, you know, the courses that are open are doing it on a kind of a bare bones thing. You can't go into the pro shop and buy a dozen balls or buy a new set of clubs or a glove. And, and those are the kind of things that help a golf course operate, uh, the food and beverage, the clubhouses, uh, the weddings that they host, um, you know, the, the golf operation itself obviously is fairly costly. You got a crew out there cutting grass and, and doing all that. And I don't know if you can, with the limited number of people who are allowed to play, I'm not sure if you can make that money up. So unfortunately I think there will be casualties in this. Uh, hopefully if they do go under, someone else buys the golf course. Um, there's a lot, we probably have too many golf courses in Canada. Generally speaking, I know there are areas that don't that are perfect but as a general thought i think there are probably too many golf courses in canada so this might be sadly um a way to kind of call the herd as it yeah. were. um but but i i hope i hope that there if that happens that the people who are behind them don't get hurt too much um you know course owners I, i'm sad to say and course courses that are owned by other groups private clubs and stuff may now at this point say you know what um we don't have the wherewithal to continue maybe this is a good time to sell our course to the guy who wants to build houses on it yeah that's the kind of thing that i see coming out of it hopefully it won't be too harsh and we won't lose too many good courses or any courses at all but uh sadly i think that's that's probably just going to have to happen just like it's going to happen to a ton of other businesses restaurants and whatever you know you can go down the list of 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 businesses that are probably going to be hurt by this and, and some of them will just never recover well, you also mentioned too, I mean, you're not a health guy, and, I mean, nor am I, but I mean, I wanted to know your thoughts on the 20 minute tea time intervals. I mean, like people will be off the green and I'm still have to wait, you know I mean? Like what are your thoughts? What are you hearing from uh, the other uh, uh, golf people around the world? Well, I think, uh, I think 20 minute tea times are, are a, a good thing in some respects. You know, you just don't want to have to be risking anything. Cause the, the, the biggest thing with golf, if you look at my Twitter feed, Oh, yeah. The last couple of days, you will see a, a back and forth with people who are saying, you know, this is terrible. I can't believe you guys Ripping. are opening yeah. up golf courses. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who, who who don't want golf courses open. And all it's going to take is one positive case from a golf course somewhere. Shut um, down. You know, for, for people. Yeah, either shut down or certainly have a second look at it. And so I think you really have to err on the side of caution. So a 20-minute tee time is probably not that. It sounds ridiculous, um, but it may be something that's necessary. Now, maybe when they... Um, you know, get going a little bit more. They'll shrink it down to 15. I think. I think in New Brunswick they were going with one. One. I've talked to so many different out provinces and provincial <laughs> people over the last couple of days, but one of them was going with 12 minute time. So there's, you know, there's some variations in there. But uh, I do know that when BC was open before everybody else was open, you know, they had to put marshals out on some of the courses because people just weren't listening and weren't following the really? rules. So. Um, so that's, I say, all it takes is going to be one, one bad apple to spoil the whole bunch. I also want to get your thoughts on those putting devices for the flag. I mean, I want to know, like, what do you think on those devices? I mean, should they be installed on every, uh, uh, every golf course? I mean, um, you know, what's your take? 
yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess again, you sort of have to err on the side of caution. I saw, I've seen a couple of different things. I've seen, uh, you know, the cups turned upside down or pulled up a little bit, so the ball just hits the cup and doesn't go in, and that's one. Or the pool noodle kind of cut off and sunk into the cup so the ball doesn't go all the way down. And then the best one I saw was kind of like a, a little lever that you could pull the bottom of the cup up with using your putter. So the ball could yeah. actually go in the hole, and it's a little thing there, and you just pull it up. But, uh, listen, there's going to be changes in a lot of different ways to the game. Um, you know, I had a big conversation with Adam Hadwin this week that's up on tsn.ca talking about what he thought and uh, the, what it's going to look like, you know, for the PGA Tour. Are they going to go back wearing masks? Are they going to be able to have the pins pulled out? Will someone be there to rake the bunkers? You know, it's there's a lot of questions I think that people still have to figure out. BC has had their courses open now. I mean, they've, they've never really closed. So they've they figured it out, and I think as long as people adhere to the rules and, and you know be cautious, uh, I think you can play. I can think you can play golf safely. Well, I, I, I listened to my cousin actually. That he was talking the other day on a podcast. I mean, uh, he caddies on the PGA actually, and he mentioned uh, you know he goes, you know what guys, like there's going to be so many golfers playing. Like this is going to be an unbelievable year. There's going to be so many good players playing in every event, like events that Tiger hasn't played in. And I mean, it's crazy to think that. There's going to be so many more guys wanting to play events because there's the short year, essentially, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of people who need FedEx Cup points. You know, like like <laughs> uh, right now, if, if right now if the FedEx Cup started today, Brooks Kepka wouldn't be playing in the playoffs. You know, he's outside yeah. the top 125 right now. So uh, now they're gonna they're gonna have to do some adjustments. But you know, the other side of the coin is you have a guy like Roger Sloan or or Michael Gligic who are young guys who don't necessarily have full complete status to get in every event. Um, so they may be, you know, they, they, they want to play as many tournaments as they can. And usually in the summer, a lot of the top players will take some time off in between the, the major championships. Um, and those guys where those guys get a lot of starts. Well, you know what? They might be on the outside looking in. So it's, there's a lot of questions still as to how the PGA Tour's season is going to unfold, uh, how they're going to qualify for the playoffs, how you're going to qualify to retain your privileges for next year. Um, and there's a lot of stories out there exactly of, you know, think what they're thinking of, but, um, there's certainly going to be a different time because I mean, for instance, you're, I think you're going to have one major in within the, uh, the PGA tour, yeah. uh, because the other PGA and the, or the, sorry, the U S open and the masters are after it, uh, next year you're going to have six majors. So those count for a lot more FedEx cup points. So, but you're right. You know, everyone's going to want to play in those early events. Someone was telling me the other day that the first tournament back is at Colonial. They said that could have that could have the best field in, in the history. Unbelievable! Of the <laughs> All those guys want to play. Yeah. Uh, so I have to ask. I mean, the Canadian CP uh, CP Women's event that took place in Regina. Uh, how was that for you? Did that experience? I mean, you mentioned earlier about Mike Weir. Did that experience uh, measure up to anything that you've been a part of? Crowds, the atmosphere. It was uh, it was right up there with Mike winning the Masters for sure uh, on a number of reasons. First of all, of course, it was at home in, in Canada, which was pretty amazing. Uh, the crowd was ridiculous. Um, it, you know, I don't, I think it was like six degrees and raining when we started off, and they were lined gross. up five down the first fairway. So it was pretty remarkable to see the the hearty Saskatchewan people out there. And then the big difference this time was that. You know, at first there was not going to be any live television coverage, and we they kind of had to barter and scramble to get make sure that the back nine was on live TV. So uh, the front nine, I live tweeted Brooks' score, and I I think I got like you know six or seven hundred new followers from people who just jumped <laughs> in to, to try and figure out what Brooke was doing. So the element of the television and what happened afterwards, and the whole story with Brooke, I think you know being so young, winning at home. 
Um, it added up to a really remarkable experience, and uh, I can't say enough about the crowds there. I can't say enough about uh, the people who were running the tournament out there, all the, the folks out at uh, at Wascana. I mean, it was uh, you know they, I know they'd had a tough year uh, weather-wise, agronomy-wise, and, and the course was probably not showing its best, but uh, it held up. It uh, it was a good finish, and and to watch Brooke uh, hit that that last shot coming in on 18 with the whole. Uh, the entire hole basically surrounded. It was nuts. People. It was uh, yeah. It was a remarkable finish and a remarkable scene. Something I'll never forget. So uh, some of the places you have got to play and where uh, favorites. Uh, well, I guess topping the list would be easy. It's uh, Augusta National. They have a uh, they have a draw wow. for the media to play on Monday <laughs> after, and it's a very limited. I don't think it's all on the up and up. I think they kind of pick and choose a little bit. But uh, I was over nine over eighteen. Um, and, and finally got picked on my 19th year. I was there <laughs> and got to play. And it's, you know, I walked around the golf course probably a thousand times, but to go out and play it and, uh, and to walk out there is, was pretty special. So I played there and I've played over in Scotland and I've played in, uh, Torrey Pines and I've played at, uh, TBC Sawgrass and, you know, but I really, I really do enjoy playing in Canada. Uh, I think as I said before, the world doesn't know how good our golf courses are. So, yeah. I mean, I've golfed in. Whistler, I've golfed at Jasper and Banff, I've golfed out in Prince Edward Island, and Cabot Links now out in Nova Scotia, and also one of my favorites, and um, even at home, you know, I belong to a golf course here in Toronto called Weston, it's uh, an old Willie Park golf course, about 110 years old, and, and our claim to fame is that Arnold Palmer won his first professional victory there, the 1955 Canadian Open, and we have a statue of Arnie on our first, on our first nice. tee, so, uh, so, you know, there's, there's, we're really spoiled in this country by how many good golf courses we have. So you don't have to look very far to find a good one and, and to take a trip. And, and in most cases compared to other places in the States and stuff, it's uh, it's pretty affordable as well. Uh, some of your favorite places to go and report, you know, get out and watch uh, some tournaments. Um, yeah. Just touch on that. Sure. Well, as we mentioned off top, Augusta is always, always a good one. Uh, the British open is always fun to cover because you get, uh, you get to go across the pond, and it's a whole different culture over there with golf. And you go out to the pubs at night, and, and you can. Use, it's usually it's it's amazing how that tournament can be held in a small little town, like a town of five thousand people. Um, they'll have a great golf course there, and you, know, you the whole town will kind of shut down, and, and it's kind of crazy. <laughs> and you, rally, you yeah. learn a little bit of yeah, you learn a bit about the culture. Uh, Pebble Beach is always another one of my favorites to cover. I've done a few U.S. Opens and a few AT and Ts out there as well. Um, there's, uh, I'm trying to think, well, Sawgrass for the Players' Championship is always different. I mean, the crowd at that place is uh, is nuts. Nothing, nothing, however, tops the Phoenix Open, uh, that 16th hole, the, <laughs> the stadium hole there, is, um, is just a complete and utter gong show. And there's there really is nothing like golf, like it in anywhere else in golf, and that's almost a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a little we, different you know, for sure. R- yeah, the RBC Canadian Open is the last couple of years has put in uh, what they call the rink, which is a hole surrounded by hockey boards, <laughs> and that's become pretty popular with guys having a few cocktails and then they pound on the boards. But uh, I was talking with Rory McIlroy a couple of days after that Open that he won last year, and he was saying how much he liked it. But he said the best part was that everybody calms down when they know it's your turn to shoot. So that yeah. he said that's the difference. So. Uh, uh, but the, yeah, there's there's uh, there's lots of good places to cover to cover great tournaments, and we're I'm very blessed to be able to go out and go to some pretty cool spots around the world. So uh, last note here before we go into our uh, segment uh, questions from the gallery, um, I asked all the guests this. I mean, this th- and this could be a two part. You know, I mean, obviously uh, you as a journalism and also a, you know golf guy, but I mean, you've seen so many so many talented players over the years. 
um, you know, just our young listeners, uh, what does it take, you know, to make it to the PGA and uh, just your thoughts? Uh, you know, I'll use Mike Weir as an example. Um, Mike was never the best player as an amateur. He was very good and he worked hard. He worked exceptionally hard. Uh, his brother likes to tell the story that in the winter, uh, Mike set up a, uh, put a big tarp up in the garage and he would hit balls into that tarp and the whole house would rattle around and he would do that for hour after hour after hour. And he, and, and Jim said everybody had headaches in the house because boom, <laughs> boom, boom into the net. So, you know, my point there is that the dedication that you have to have to really want to do it is, is second to none. And, and you can be a talented golfer, but, um, you know, to, to be a PGA tour player goes beyond talent. You got to have drive, you got to have commitment, you got to have perseverance. Um, you know, one of my favorite guys to follow is a guy named, well, obviously you guys know him, Graham Dillette and, and Graham's story is very similar. Yeah. You know, Graham was the best golf cor- golfer in Saskatchewan. And then the, the, he got the, caught the eye of the national team coaches and they brought him to Toronto and he realized, Ooh, okay, there's, there's a lot better golfers here or a lot more better golfers here. And the levels kept getting higher, but he had enough drive to want to succeed. So yeah, I guess the, the point is, yeah, the point is you got to have the talent, but you got to also got to have what's between the ears. And I think that's, that's probably the, uh, those two things together, um, you know, with a few breaks here and there can get you there. Already off to uh, the segment called Questions from the Gallery, uh, sponsored by Player Golf. Be sure to use the promo code off the hosel 15 for 15% off of your orders. That's off the hosel 15 for 15% off of your orders. Alrighty, uh, Regan Smith asked, uh, what's your favorite course in Canada that you've played and Saskatchewan? Uh, my favorite course in Canada is a course called Cabot, Cabot Links, which is out in Nova Scotia. It's, there's two courses out there that you may have seen pictures of, Cabot Links and Cabot Cliffs. Cabot Cliffs gets most of the photography because it's got this beautiful hole that sits on the edge of a cliff. Um, but I, I prefer Cabot Links. It's a it's a real true kind of Scottish feel Links golf course out there, and uh, and that the experience of playing it is is, is really second to none. Uh, in Saskatchewan, I I really enjoy playing Dakota Dunes. Um, I I was lucky enough that the the first time I played it. There was no wind, <laughs> so it yeah, made that, it a little easier for me. That'll be nice. I understand afterwards. <laughs> I was told afterwards that it's like the one day this year that there hasn't been any wind. So, oh, it's, uh, but I like so that. And I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like that uh, a lot. It was it was a lot of fun to play. Uh, Steve Riot asked, uh, "Did you sample any Saskatchewan beer while in Regina for the CP in 2018? If so, which was your favorite?" Ooh, I did. I always make a point of drinking local beers. Uh, I mean, I love Graham Dillette's beer, the Prairie Bard. Yeah. <laughs> always a, is always a good one. And I, I, I'll be terrible and say that I can't remember the names of them. Um, but we did. Every night we went out with a couple of guys. We were staying uh, down by the casino across the street from the casino area. And we would go into that little downtown core and try things. And there was a couple of nice little pubs that had some really good um, local brews. And I will say that they were, you know, it was the food and the... Uh, the food and the beer and the entertainment that week were really, really good. I remember that being downtown and seeing some local artists playing, and uh, I had a lot of fun that week. I must admit that. Uh, Jill Croser asked, uh, she, wa- she wants to know, uh, who do you think um, who's going to be the next uh, Canada's next great up- uh, up-and-comer, and which Canadian on tour right now will win attorney in the next uh, near future here? Uh, we had on Noah Steele recently. I don't know if he's uh, mm. you've seen him at all, but yeah. I haven't seen Noah play. I've heard lots about him. I'd like to get the chance to see him to play. Uh, I think on the men's side, there's a couple of guys you might look out for. A guy by the name of Hugo Bernard, who's a big left-handed uh, kid from Quebec. He's got lots of talent, and I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see what he's going to do. Um, 
there's also another fellow from Quebec named Joey Savoie, who's a uh, also an excellent golfer. So those two have, have kind of caught my eye. Adam Svensson is a guy who played the PGA Tour last year, lost his card, is back down on the Corn Ferry Tour. And I, I, I'm kind of waiting for him to hit his stride because I think he can really do some some good things. On the women's side, I'm, I think Brittany Marchand uh, is, is going to get there. I think she's a she's kind of been back and forth the last few years. But I think she's gained a lot of confidence in her game, and I think that's the, the only really big thing missing from her. So uh, that's another one I think that to watch. Those three right there are um, are pretty good. But Noah Steele, I'm, I'm anxious to kind of watch him hit some balls because uh, from what I hear, he's, he's really dynamite. Uh, you may have already answered this question a couple of times here, but uh, Brian Peters asked, uh, what's your favorite golf memory, and whether it be your, uh, yourself or being a golf analyst? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, here's what I'll do. I've, I've talked about you know Mike Weir, and I've talked about Brooke Anderson winning, um, but I'll, I'll switch it around a little bit. I'll tell you my favorite interview that I've ever done. Nice. And that was, uh, that was a couple, quite a few years ago. I got to interview um, Charlie Sifford who was the first African-American golfer to play on the PGA Tour. And he was a very talented golfer. And back in those days, I mean, as, as late as the 1960s, the PGA Tour had a clause that said it was only for white people. And, and yeah. Charlie Sifford was sort of like, sort of like Jackie Robinson in baseball. Um, you know, he went through absolute horrors to play. And, and some of the stories and some of the things that he told me about what he had to suffer through just to be able to play on the PGA Tour were, were just horrendous, and I'll never forget that. And uh, I did ask him, I said, you're kind of like the Jackie Robinson of golf, but he said, no, not really, because after Jackie Robinson, a lot of African-Americans played baseball, and, and we're still yeah. waiting for kind of a breakout of, in, in the golf world. So that's my most memorable interview anyway. Uh, last one here, uh, favorite beverage after a round? <laughs> Uh, that's a good one. You know, uh, I, I answer it depending on what the weather is. I mean, I'm a beer guy. I like, I like craft beers. Uh, we do have at our golf club in Arnold Palmer, the, uh, you know, the, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> iced tea and lemonade. And sometimes I'll drink that with a little bit of vodka in it maybe. And, that, and it's when we, when we put the vodka in, it goes from being called an Arnold Palmer to a John Daly. <laughs> Drive the ball real far. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Bob, this has been great. I don't know if you have a, you want to touch on, uh, more notes here. I mean, this is uh, this has been awesome. No, it's uh, listen. It's always great to talk golf, and um, and anyone who's listening, if you want to reach out uh, on Twitter, if you have any other questions or whatever, you can always find me there, and, uh, and hopefully uh, keep listening to this podcast because we're doing a good job here with this. It's real real fun to chat. Right on. Thanks so much, Bob. Okay, take care. Coors Light is the official light beer of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It's also the official beer of watching 2013 reruns catching up on video calls, and wearing the same sweats as you did yesterday. Visit your local retailer for great prices on 18, 24, 36 can packs. Coors Light, made to chill. Well, there it is. The interview was with Jared Dutois and Bob Weeks. Dropped it today for you guys, just so you know, on your way home from the lake. You know, unfortunately, this long weekend has come to an end as we all go back to work on Tuesday, only for a four-day work week, but... Long story short, interviews with Jared were really good, I thought. Talked about his college and, you know, the Canadian Open. And, you know, being a professional golfer at the age of 24, yeah, living the life, man. Thanks again for coming on, Jared. And then followed by Bob Weeks. Talks about his top 100 uh, course ratings he does over at Score Golf when he was there. Then transition over to Golf TSN now. He's the analyst there and unbelievable at his job. Thanks again to both those guys for coming on today. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Not much more, you know, I mean, this this thing doesn't happen without our great sponsors by everyone. Um, you know, I really appreciate all the support and help 
uh, for the podcast. I mean, like I said, this doesn't happen without you guys, so appreciate it. Um, not much more, though, on Twitter, underscore off the hosel, Instagram, underscore off the hosel, Facebook, off the hosel. Don't quote me on it, but 99% sure we'll have our gear and our swag in by uh, today's end. I hope it's in. Get you guys some uh, little soft launch. And check out the social media feeds that I said just previously. Keep your eyes open. Um, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you guys Wednesday. See you guys. Thank you.